going on, everybody? I'm Brett Popish, and this is Defiant, the show for those that want to be more, achieve more, and ultimately be defiant. I'm joined today by an uh, interesting gentleman. Uh, him and I just got a chance to meet each other a couple weeks ago through a, uh, a mutual business coaching, entrepreneurial, entrepreneur coaching platform uh, called Arte. And I wanted to get him on because I think he's got a pretty amazing story and just hopefully bring some value to everybody out there listening. So without further ado, uh, Josh Kosnick, how you doing, sir? Doing great today, Brett. How you doing? I'm doing well. Before we uh, kick this off too much, I just want to make sure that, uh, or just ask the question, are you feeling all good? Everything's good to go with you? Yeah. Yeah. Mostly good. I, uh, you know, I was in the hospital for a couple of days with a, an infection. Uh, they got that turned around, blood work turned around. So good to go onward and upward. Good deal. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I saw that post. Uh, it was like a two days after we talked, I was like, holy cow, I didn't even know you were sick when we talked originally. I didn't know I was sick when we talked originally, so <laughs> it was good. I went downhill so fast, man. I was doing my two workouts a day, uh, just pushing through things. You know, I wasn't, I didn't feel a hundred percent, but I certainly didn't feel sick. And then it was, uh, yeah, like Wednesday afternoon, I went, I, I went downhill. We maybe even spoke that morning. We did. And, uh, and I, yeah, that afternoon I went downhill fast, couldn't control my body temp. And then, uh, you know, I'm on the horn with my friend who's an emergency room physician. He's like, yeah, if you, this doesn't get better by tomorrow, you need to go in. And so I did and they got me turned around. So here we are. That's good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Well, you know, for everybody out there listening that may not already know you and, and follow you on social media, cause I know you got a pretty good social media following already. Why don't you talk to talk to everybody a little bit, just kind of give us your story, tell us what you do, and then we'll just go from there. Yeah, brother, I'd love to. So I have been in the financial services industry for 17 years, and I ran a large firm, uh, over 100 advisors, about 250 total in staff, and uh, was able to sell that firm two years ago, and there was uh, some turbulence and headwinds that I was facing. Um, and without getting too deep into that story, uh, was able to exit that firm and, uh, reassess what I wanted to do with my life. So I did a, a pretty, pretty thorough analysis over six months, mainly because I was in a, uh, a legal battle and uh, negotiating my exit. And, uh, so it gave me that time, uh, to really internalize, Hey, what did I love about that job? What did I love about owning the firm? What did I love about uh, all the things that encompassed who I was in that role? And what were the things I really didn't like? And did I want to replicate that? Because I was being recruited by many other uh, competitive firms and uh, they were coming at me pretty hard. And I had to assess in real time, hey, is that the life that I want still? And it came down to that there were pieces of that role that I loved, which was pouring into people, developing people into being better advisors, better leaders, uh, being able to, I, I was my own boss, right? So I already had that control and autonomy, but it, like the roles that I wanted to play were, hey, develop people, pour into people, make them better leaders, fathers, husbands, all the above. And so I was like, okay, if I can turn that into, if that's all I did, that would be amazing. Sure. The roles that I didn't like there were um, the people problems, other people's egos and problems that they brought into the office that became my problems. 
Everybody's and all baggage. business owners face that. Yeah, so if it's part of the package, all business owners face that. Your people's problems become your problems, whether you like that or not. And uh, there are some significant problems I face due to other people's problems. And so uh, that was one of the things I really didn't like. So I, I went from 250 employees, essentially, to two. Oh, wow. Me and my integrator. Okay. Uh, so and now we're we're building things from the ground up, and we'll add more as we go on. I don't know that I'll ever run a 250 person organization again. I like the lean and mean look that we have right now. But right now, I'm uh, I bought 80 acres and built out a leadership retreat. I partnered with a neuroscientist where we can actually pour into people, individuals, and teams, leadership teams, to help them get better from the inside out. I also do individual coaching with uh, many other uh, entrepreneurs and leaders. And I also became an EOS implementer. So for those that have read the book Traction or Rocket Fuel, uh, that's what I do to help people and their teams build systems. Okay. So leadership development and systems development are what I see entrepreneurs need the most help with to help them thrive, to help them live the life they want to live as an entrepreneur. So leadership development, systems, whichever the team or leader needs most is where I'll insert myself. Nice. So Prior to making the change that you did, you know, kind of growing up in your career in the financial services industry, were you on the sales side at any point in time? So were you more of a a financial advisor at some point that kind of introduced you to that business? Yeah, I skipped over that part. At 24 years old, that was my first entrepreneurial role, right? Going 100% commission, uh, you know, much like you did in the mortgage world, going 100% commission, excuse me into financial advisor role, thrived in that role, did really well uh, as an individual advisor, uh, had a team of uh, five at my peak uh, that were helping me uh, formulate the plans for clients, high level customer service for clients. So I ran my personal practice for 12 years, sold that when I was asked to take over the large firm. Gotcha. So because it was uh, it was going to be too much to manage both. And I didn't want my clients to suffer because I was running this, you know, big firm. Sure. So I sold to another advisor within that firm to transition my book of business at that time. Gotcha. How old were you when you first started in that first sales position as a financial advisor? So 24 years old at that time, I sold it at, uh, it was 35, 36. Nice. Did you ever, and I, I always ask this with people in sales, cause I don't think anybody ever intends to go into sales <laughs> growing up in high school. You know, did you ever intend to go into a sales role like that? Or when you were in high school, were you thinking like, hey, I'm going to go, you know, be a firefighter, go be a Navy pilot, go, go do something else other than sales? You know, actually I did. I'm one of the weird ones. So my first, uh, let's call it real job was a sales associate at circuit city when I was 16 years old. You know, I had a paper route when I was 11 and 12, um, you know, busboy job at Damon's, but like when I say real job was 16 years old, I got hired to be a sales associate at circuit city. Um, And then furthermore, when I dropped out of college, I had continued my retail career and was a sales manager at Best Buy. So sales had always been something that I was in. What I realized when I was at Best Buy is that, uh, you know, that was a salary plus job. Sure. And there's, there's tiers to that. And I was running a top three store in the country. I went and asked for a raise because I knew other sales managers getting paid more than I was. And I was, you know, kicking their ass month in and month out. And the store manager told me no. Okay. And I said, uh, 
Yeah, that it just didn't sit well with me. Like I could finish 300th and you'd pay me the same. Like that doesn't make sense. I've always been taught if you do better, you get more. Sure. So um, my father was in the financial services industry. So I'd, I'd already seen the blueprint of how success looks like in that field. And so I had that image, right? Uh, as much as he and I butted heads, uh, because we're very, very similar people, type A alpha males. And, um, and I was, you know, teens and early twenties, I thought I knew everything much like every other stubborn male. Right. Uh, so, but when I got told no for that raise, I had an epiphany as like, I should be doing that. So I called my dad kind of tail between my legs and I said, Hey, I want to explore this process. And, uh, and then the, the rest was history. Nice. Yeah. I feel like when you get into sales and you know, some of us, I happen to fall into sales. I kind of think you might've kind of fallen into sales sales as well. Um, but I feel like when people get into sales and they realize if you're good at it, you realize the income potential is whatever you want it to be, whether you're exactly. an entrepreneur or whether you're an entrepreneur. And, uh, I always tell people sales is kind of like the mafia. Cause once you're in, you, you're not going to get out. <laughs> you cannot get out of that. What a taste for it. Actually, you know, you thrive under competition. You thrive under the, the low line stress of it. You thrive under the, uh, potential of it, like you mentioned. Yep. And, uh, and, and you realize that every company that exists on this planet needs sales. That's right. So you, you create an opportunity. If you're good at sales, you have an opportunity that will always be needed mm -hmm. in every platform. So financial services was just a good platform for me because I had seen my father be very successful in that field. But had my father been in mortgages or real estate or something else, I probably would have gone down that path, but it still would have been sales. Yep. What I learned a long time ago being fresh in sales in my career, I'd, I'd started a hundred percent commission outside sales when I was 19, um, selling lumber actually. But one thing that I realized way back in the day is sales is not about the product that you offer. It's about the amount of investment you put into the people that you're working with to sell said product. Yep. And the ability that you get to know your customer, like uh, even Best Buy taught needs-based selling. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're asking questions, really understanding, hey, you're in the computer department today. Uh, what happened to your last computer? What's the, what are you in here for looking at a new computer? And they're like, oh, this one took a shit. You know, I'm, here's what we're how, here's how long I had it. It was just outside warranty. OK, well, let's talk about this product here, because this one is the most reliable brand or the most reliable product. Right. Because you're getting to know that their pain point was their last computer took a shit. Right. So it's all needs based. And as long as you're doing what's in the best interest of clients and not yourself, you're going to have a far greater impact and far greater, more fulfilling sales career. Yep. So now in your, in your role now, um, is it, it would it be taboo if I said you are a, a business coach or a coach in general, or what would you consider your role today to be? No, I like coach. I like coach. Uh, in fact, if someone calls me a consultant, I can consult, but I think a consultant, a true consultant embeds themselves in a company for the sake of embedding themselves and keeping themselves afloat and having a job. Right. What I would prefer to do is impart all the wisdom that I have, whether it's on the EOS system side or the leadership development side and give you everything I got. And whether that takes two years, five years or whatever, and let you run with it. Yep. I don't want to create a situation where you need me forever. 
That's, it's not about me. It's about you and your business or you and your leadership team. Sure. So I want to give you everything I got for a period of time. So that's why I like coach. Some people, now I always have had at least one coach myself, sales, business, spiritual, sometimes therapist, whatever it may be. I always have at least one coach. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't always have a coach, but my job is to essentially work myself out of a job, give you everything I got. Sure. The idea is to, is to give somebody else the tools to, for them to be successful and kind of pass that along to their people as well. Right. And kind of spread the love, so to speak. That's how I would look at it. Now, you know, leadership is one of those things that I feel some people are really good at it. Some people, and if they're naturally good at it, it's kind of like a talent that they develop into a skill. Um, Some people are not really good at being a leader or in leadership, and they really have to develop those skills from the ground level through, you know, hard work, discipline, things like that. You know, with that said, do you feel that you were kind of a natural leader coming out of that role in the financial services industry? Or did you, like me, I'm 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 personally very good at what I do. And I'm good at telling, if people ask me, hey, how do I do this? I'm good at telling them this, but I have very little patience for people to tell me, well, I'm still struggling with it, but it didn't, what you told me, uh, I didn't implement. So I don't know if it worked. Um, And I kind of went a long way around when I said that, but Basically, I have a hard time letting people off the hook, so to speak, when they don't do what I tell them to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You got to reach their motivations, not your motivations, I would tell you. So uh, to answer your first part of your question, I do feel I have a natural proclivity for leadership. And I think it's a God-given gift for me that he he placed in me that I have a passion and a natural proclivity for it. So... I mean, the passion piece is like leadership is an ongoing development piece. Like you have to be passionate about growing as a leader to truly be able to be a, be the best leader you can, but then especially to impart your wisdom and your leadership into others. There are some people. So first of all, I also believe that we are all leaders in some capacity or another, whether it's just of your household or of a massive organization. However, when you're in charge of a massive organization or in a put into the a leadership role of a team, you take on a different level of responsibility than anyone else. Right. And some people are not cut out for that responsibility. Some people are, whether it's, whether you want to use the word more selfish or just not as passionate about leading a team, maybe they're more competitive or more, you know, like a truly competitive person, like some of our best salespeople aren't great leaders. Mm Mm-hmm. They're great doers. And the reason they're great doers, right? And oftentimes companies will try and force their top salesperson into a leadership role, assuming they can do it, just like, hey, just follow what he or she is doing. Well, if they're not good at imparting wisdom and like giving their uh, wisdom nuggets to the next level, and they're just good at doing and they can't even articulate how they do it. Um, they're not going to be a great leader. And especially if they don't have a passion or they see it as taking away from their primary role or income in sales. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to be careful about who you appoint into a leadership role, because if they have a narcissistic trait to them, or if they're just a more naturally competitive uh, sales driven person, don't put that person in a leadership role. It will be very toxic to your organization. So 
I do believe that everyone's a leader in a certain aspect. It could be just of your household, could be just of yourself, or you may be meant more for leading a team or an organization. However, if we go that second route, they have to not only have a natural proclivity for it, but they have to have a passion for developing the skill set to be a great leader and want that responsibility. And I think part of that leadership role as well is you have to have a passion for developing other people and bringing other people up. You know, uh, one of the things that I struggle with, I'll be free in this conversation that I struggle with is what I just mentioned. Like I'm the doer type. Um, and I have, I have a, a team of people in, in my world as well. And, you know, I, I do everything I can to help them, but I'm, I'm still the competitive doer type. You know what I mean? And so, yep. um, I do have a passion for helping people and bringing other people up, but that's where for me, the development has to come into play. And I've been working on myself extremely hard in that respect over the last couple of years, primarily really over the last, uh, six months, I'll be totally honest with you and join an Arte. And I got to tell you, and this is not when I, before we go into this, this is not a commercial for Arte. Although if you're an entrepreneur or you want to grow yourself personally, you need to check it out. Just that simple. Yes. It's one of the, it's one of the greatest organizations, clubs, whatever, however you want to put it. Uh, because not just what Andy and Ed impart in us, but because we're having conversations like this on a regular basis, like right. even if you and I didn't jump on a podcast together, we had a conversation, you know, a week or two ago that was going to make each other better. Exactly. And that, you know, I got to be honest. So I've leaned into the group quite a bit, um, sidebar off this whole topic. I've leaned into the group quite a bit for just random things that I needed help with editing for my, this podcast, for example, just some other various things. And the fact that we are dealing with some high level entrepreneurs in this, in our group, in our organization and the willingness people have to just jump right in and say, Hey, how can I help? Or, Hey, this is not my area. You need to talk to this person right here and make that personal introduction. It just has blown my mind of the willingness. And that leads to uh, something else I'd like to mention. A lot of people think that high level entrepreneurs, business owners, they're unapproachable. Uh, they, they, they want to be in their own little world. They don't want to help people out. And I, that couldn't be further from the truth in this organization. I would say some of the most successful people are the most approachable. I would agree. And, and to the point where it's usually the people that are still on their way up, usually in a um, lawyer type, doctor type, uh, entrepreneur that's making 250 grand um, that thinks they're the shit or trying to portray that they're the shit. Those are the people that are the least approachable. You get to people that are, uh, have made it quote unquote, mm -hmm. or are making millions of dollars or just hyper successful, whatever your definition of successful is. They're actually the most approachable people because they're a always learning and B always trying to give back, uh, to the people that are coming up behind them. Yep. I look at individuals like that as they have a, a, a high level of confidence, but also a high level of humbleness to them. Yeah, the humility piece. Very hum very so. Because they look at it as, hey, I've been there before. I know what the I know what the struggles are, but I also have the confidence that I can demonstrate to you how to make that work or how to get out of your own way to make that work, whatever the situation might be. Yeah. Hey, one piece that I want to don't, I don't want to lose. It came to mind as we were talking about that leadership is a question to ask yourself, uh, not just you, but anyone mm -hmm. that's thinking about taking on a leadership role is do I get more passion or more 
energy or fuel or however you want to define it by seeing others succeed or seeing myself succeed, right? If I, if I were to coach someone that ended up kicking my ass, if I coach them so well, they end up kicking my ass. And for your top performers, I, I understand how unfathomable that is. Right. Um, but if they did, would I be envious and jealous or would I be joyful and proud? If the answer is that you'd be joyful and proud, you're meant to be a leader. Yep. If the answer, if you have any sort of envious jealousy factor at all, there's no shame in that. Understand that you should not be in a leadership role. Yeah. Cause you, you should stay in a sales role. You are, you are the doer. You are the, you're the competitor, the doer rather than the leader at that point. Correct. And I'll be honest with you. When I see people that, you know, have grown up with me in the business, in my bit, in the mortgage business, for example, and I see them kicking ass and succeeding, I am genuinely happy for those people because I look at it as if I have any kind of negative thought towards that, and this is just, you know, maybe the, the universe, what goes around, comes around type of thing. But I feel like if I have any negative thought towards somebody else's success, it's going to come back and bite me in the ass at some point, because what you put out is what you get back. <laughs> Yeah, it's that karmic energy. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people don't understand that. Uh, Andy's talked about that quite a bit to us. Uh, is yes, you should be rooting for your competition, as weird as that sounds. Well, yeah, because if if you root for your competition and you are a competitor, you're going to raise your level of play as well. Yep. Right. That's and if you're constantly if you're constantly demonizing your competition, you know, talking bad about them, you bring yourself down while you're trying to bring them down, which is yep. very counterintuitive. And a lot of people don't quite understand that. Yep. So don't don't get us wrong either. You should want to kick their ass. Absolutely. But do it in a high integrity way. And at the same time rooting for them is like, hey, I want you to do awesome things. Yep. I just want myself to do slightly more awesome things. <laughs> some, <laughs> totally agree. Some of the some of the best friends I have right now are my competitors because we get together, we collaborate, we we give each other grief, we talk shit to each other, but it's it's in a manner that we're trying to lift everybody else up. You know what I mean? And so one of my prior episodes, the episode actually that released last Friday is a competitor of mine. And him and I got to know each other through social media and different things and we ran into a uh, we ran into each other at a couple of different events and got to talk. And I'm like, man, I need you on this podcast because he just has such a unique way of looking at things similar to me that I'm like, yeah, I, I could care less if you're a competitor. Let's come on. Let's build each other's business. That's cool. Good job for you. So now with your coaching that you do, um, you know, everybody's situation is going to be a little different. You're going to have to tweak things differently for, for some people. And I know this question might come out of left field, but what's the most common roadblock you hear from a lot of your, your clients? Uh, the leader end up, ends up being the bottleneck. Okay. Uh, and what I mean by that is the leader ends up getting in the, the way of growth of the organization. By micromanaging or? Yeah, by, that can be one one reason. They can be micromanaging. Uh, John Maxwell talks about the law of the lid. Okay. And what his pro, um, concept with that is, is that leaders can only grow as much as you grow. And so let's say we say you're using a one to 10 scale, you're a real scientific scale, but let's say you're a, a five out of 10 on the leadership scale. And we do a 360. We have not only you rate yourself, but we have your team rate you. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. We have your peers rate you uh, to say, okay, yep, you're a five out of 10. So you're a self-aware leader. You're not trying to say you're an eight out of 10. And everyone else is saying you're a five out of 10. So you're self-aware. You're a five out of 10. Everyone else agrees you're a five out of 10. There's almost no possible way that anyone underneath you grows to a six while you're at a five. Totally makes sense. That's the law of the lid. So you have to continually grow your leadership skill set. And that includes not micromanaging. That includes when you delegate that you get out of that you teach appropriately and get out of the way. Mm-hmm. That includes that you hire people that are smarter than you. And that doesn't threaten your leadership. Yep. That means you're putting really smart people around you for the sake of the business. And I, I feel so, like that one piece, sorry to interrupt you there, Josh, but I feel like that one piece could be a challenge for the type of person we were talking about a little bit ago that is the super competitive doer type, that they could honestly feel a little threatened by somebody that's either smarter than them, more competitive than them, because they don't want to be taken over by that. Whereas a, as a true leader would look at that and say, that's an asset to my team. They bring something to the table that maybe I don't. Yeah, what I want, what I want leaders to look at is think about your leadership team in puzzle pieces and you're wherever you put yourself in the puzzle often leaders put themselves at the center which is fine but it's it's kind of an appropriate analogy right they they see themselves as the center of the business the center of the world um and by the way you are at the beginning of your business if you started as a solopreneur and you're growing to a team of 10 or a team of 20 uh, and, and continue to grow from there. At one point, you were the center of everything. You were everything to that business. But now as you grow, you need to have different pieces of the puzzle fit in around you that make you whole, that make that business whole. So everyone's puzzle piece looks a little bit differently. So we're using uh, personality profiles that fit the business. Uh, Colby, K-O-L-B-E, the Colby index is a great one Mm -hmm. uh, that helps you fit in different puzzle pieces that, and uh, there's many other profiles that you can use uh, to help you hire to fit those puzzle pieces around you. But the biggest thing is making sure that your ego doesn't get in the way of hiring tremendous people people is if I'm the leader, what I want really want people to uh, grasp from this is I should be the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. And have everybody else, have everybody else around you fill in those holes. Yes. Everyone else should be smarter than me in the room, in their perspective areas. Now you're probably still going to be the visionary, right? Like you're not, that doesn't make you a dumb person by any means. And again, I want want to dumb this down so that people aren't like, like, why would that be? You know, you're not a dumb person. When I say that you're a very smart person, you got the business to where it's at to go even further. You do that together with really intelligent people that complement your weaknesses, Mm -hmm. that complement your strengths. It's like a yin and a yang symbol. Um, you know, they fit perfectly together, but there's a dark spot in the whites in the white yin and a, a white spot in the black yang. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, how I see that is for every massive strength, there's a corresponding weakness. And for every massive weakness, there's a corresponding strength. And it's fitting those puzzle pieces together to make sure that you have the most cohesive team possible. And then once you hire really smart people, don't you dare micromanage them. Right. It's the quickest way Don't to get people to leave you. Way. Yes. 
Yeah, that's the quickest way to get people to leave you is when you micromanage. And that's one thing that I, I learned a long time ago. I do not micromanage. I mean, I'll, I'll delegate. I'll say, okay, here's what you need to do. And I might check in on a weekly basis or, you know, if they're brand new, maybe every other day, hey, how's that going? But I am not micromanaging with call reports and need to see all your, you know, a, a report of every appointment you have. Like I've, ha I've been at companies like that and I just shake my head and say, if you have to do that, you're hiring the wrong people. Yeah. And you can use a simple rule. Like if this person can do it 60% as good as I can, how much time does that free up for me to do other things to focus on other tasks? Right. They may not be able to do it a hundred percent, but you don't, but you're not going to know until you let them try. They may be able to do it better than you. Sure. However, I always use the rules. Like if they could do it at least 50 to 60% as good as I can, and that frees me up to go do a more important task. Boom. Deal um, negotiated. Exactly. Now in your business, is there a particular industry that you tend to focus on or that you tend to attract better way to put it? Or are you kind of all over the place, similar to Arte to where it's. Yeah, I'm all over. Uh, I would say that I still have uh, a lot in the financial industry just because I have so much experience uh, with that field. So from RAs to uh, large teams to large firms, um, still working a lot with them, but I'm attracting entrepreneurs all over the space from real estate to mortgage, to, um, it, to <laughs> like, it's crazy to, um, architecture firms, to different things that I'm, I'm really excited to work with their leadership teams because leadership is leadership. It doesn't matter what the business is. It's a, so I don't need to know uh, a lick about architecture. I need to know a lot about systems on that leadership team and leadership development of that team. Sure. It's not about the widget that you're selling. It's about, are you good at dealing with people? Because leadership, ultimately, it's a people business. And I think yeah, that- It's influence. That's right. And I think that when people realize that, you know, sales in general is not a product-based business, you're selling a product. But if you don't have people skills, it doesn't matter what your product is. It doesn't matter if you're the cheapest and best product out there. If you don't have people skills, it doesn't matter. Agreed. Yeah. I learned that a long time ago being in construction sales. You know, when you're selling commodities and the price is the price, how are you standing out in that world? Yep. Right. So, um, so then moving on, um, is it just you and your coaching business or do you have, or do you have a full team within your coaching business that you work with? So I have my business partner. That's the neuroscientist. Okay. Uh, so that's, he's specifically with me on the leadership retreats when teams come here to the property. Um, so we're partners. He's not an employee of mine. He has his own uh, business that he's running and helping other organizations. He's specifically really good in the school system right now. Uh, that picked up over COVID, which was a surprise for him. I have my integrator uh, as my one employee, and uh, I pulled her from my old financial firm. I needed her as we're, you know, to take all my crazy visionary ideas and actually put some traction to those ideas. Right. I need that integrator. She, she's my yin to my yang um, in that respect. We have the exact opposite strengths and weaknesses. So that's a very specific role uh, for her. We will grow. So I know future tense as I continue to build out these programs. And as the retreat is busier and busier, uh, my individual coaching price is going to go way up and time way down. So it'll probably only be a few clients on that respect. Mm -hmm. um, however, I'm already future tense building out uh, people that I trust and that I have know my uh, style of leadership where I'm going to have a different layer of coaches that, uh, 
there will be a lesser price than me uh, that can be an entry point for people that need uh, coaching. So that is a future tense though. Again, won't be employees. It'll be more of a 1099 relationship sure. uh, because trying to keep the firm lean and mean and stay away from some of the people problems I incurred in the last role, but uh, you don't want to have an organization yeah, of 250 and be, a, yeah. be a, an adult babysitter. Yeah. It, which is funny. You say that, uh, I would say 70% of my time, I think, was being an adult babysitter mm -hmm. in, in that role. And that's, that's what I really didn't like. And so, you know, it's interesting when you're in it, had you, had you, you know, right, we had this conversation two years ago and I'm running that firm at 250. I would have told you I loved it. Sure. It wasn't until I was out of it that I go, you know, that's 70% of my time. I actually fucking hated it. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's that uh, retrospect, right? What are they, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. That's what I was trying to figure out. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't you hate when you th you're thinking of a thought, but you can't articulate it? It's annoying as shit. But I got you. Exactly. I think you, you saw what I was trying to go to. <laughs> yep. Good deal. So uh, you also do a podcast as well where you bring on, you know, badass leaders, entrepreneurs, things like that. Uh, when did you start your own podcast? So when I was at the financial firm, I actually started a podcast. Uh, my chief marketing officer brought the idea to me, said, Josh, I think you'd be really good at this and it will expand, you know, our, our reach in the, in the firm, use it as marketing, yada, yada. Um, I'm like, okay, I can see your vision with that. And uh, I would enjoy that. I love talking to people, getting to know their strengths, asking great questions. That podcast was called Inspire People Impact Lives but I was really hamstrung by compliance. I sure. couldn't talk anything financial. You know, I had to keep my mouth clean, um, all the different things because I represented a much larger entity. So totally understandable in the financial industry. There's a lot of compliance and rigor remore that, uh, you know, we have to work around. Uh, so by the way, fun fact for everyone, that's why Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman have never passed a test to be a financial advisor right. ever passed a test to do, to give financial advice. Uh, that's why they can give financial advice on their shows because they're actually not held to a standard right. uh, on that financial advice. Uh, so I guess the only way to be an expert in that field is to not be an expert at all uh, because they have huge followings. So anyhow, <laughs> little, little soapbox tangent there. Real quick. I got to inter interrupt yeah. you on that. Think how crazy that is of what you just said. In order for somebody to give financial advice at the level that those two give, they do not need to be licensed and there is no standard of professionalism or accountability that they have to have to give mass messages of financial advice. But if you're a financial advisor, you have to curtail and be very specific as to what you say, because you are then regulated. That just cracks yep. me up. Right. How backwards that is. Yeah. Uh, because there are some tremendous, tremendous, tremendous financial advisors that I know. Uh, and this sometimes people will ask me, business owners and otherwise, hey, Josh, do you have a good connection for me? I have great connections all over the country. And they can't do what Suze Orman or Susie Orman, and however she pronounces her name, and Dave Ramsey do. And they would give far greater financial advice yeah. than they would. Now, now, but they would say, hey, I want to talk to you individually, not mass general population, because they would never give advice broad based because they sure. want to know the individual circumstances to make sure that they're given the proper advice 
to you. Yeah. Financial so, advice is not a one size fits all by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> certainly not. So I started that podcast and then I ended it when I ended that firm. And I, but I knew that I wanted to continue on with that pod, uh, with podcasting in general. So during that six months of, you know, off time, I just continue to ideate and well, how do I want to reimagine this thing now that I can rebrand it, do whatever I want to do. So I started researching my coaching and consulting business is called Kairos, which is an ancient Greek word, as well as a biblical world word. That's in the Greek sense. That means the time is now a moment, a momentous time in the uh, biblical sense. It's a time when God acts a divine time. So with that Greek theme, I started looking over, uh, Hey, Spartans 300 is I, I figured it would have been taken Spartan leadership, you know, yeah. by, you know, Michigan state university or something, it wasn't taken. So I'm like, boom, that's it. So Spartan leadership is the new podcast title. I've been doing it for about a year now. Um, three episodes a month, or just like you said, I interview some badass people. And one time a month I had this idea as I'm smoking a cigar right now, <laughs> we, uh, Oh, it's about to go out on me, but that's all right. We'll relight it later. The uh, I'm at a cigar bar and I'm in these deep conversations with people of all socioeconomic classes, uh, with people of all race, all gender, all like all the things, right? And we're in deep conversations, smoking a cigar, sometimes having a drink. And we stand up and we walk out respectful and friends. And I'm like, well, that doesn't happen very often in the U.S. anymore. Well, that's what we're, so that's what, that's what we're told to believe doesn't happen. We're told to believe it doesn't happen, but it happens all over in cigar bars across the country. I'll right. tell you that right now because I've been to a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And you get into some great conversations with some amazing people. And so I wanted to bring that live. And so one time a month, I do what's called leadership and review. And I have a couple friends on the show, uh, one that leans right, one that leans left. I'm more libertarian and we smoke a great cigar and uh, we discuss current events, politics, leadership, or lack thereof most of the time uh, in our current political sphere. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do have a contentious conversation in a respectful manner. And we show people how it's done the American way. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Without people yelling, without people getting their feelings hurt, without belligerent attitudes and things like that. I, that That's what this country was really founded and built on is a varying range of ideas coming together to come to a, a common solution. Respectful discourse. Yes. Like we have, we get heated. We'll, we'll, we'll raise our voices, but like in a respectful manner and we're all, and I, I keep a focus on, okay, we can bitch about a problem, but we're also going to come up with solutions. Yep. So like we just recorded one yesterday and we were like, Hey, we came up with two great solutions. Uh, one to the, the gun control message that the Democrats keep pushing um, where we talk more about safety of our children and then one for uh, mental health side of things. Absolutely. Um, so it's just, it's interesting when you can get great people in a room uh, that are intelligent and think differently, you can come up with some great stuff. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned leadership or lack thereof in the current environment. And I know I'm not sure we wanted to go down the political route here, but I do want to touch on this. We have a massive void in this country of leadership from these elected officials. And I don't like to call them our, our, our leaders necessarily because they're not. I mean, if you look at a lot of those elected officials, they highly lack in, in the leadership realm, in my mind. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the biggest issue is we have a problem. Pick your problem, gun problem, mental health, whatever the, whatever the perceived problem is. 
And it's either a Republican problem with a Democrat solution or a Democrat problem with a Republican solution. And we all have to come together and realize that neither political party has the right answers, neither one of them. And it's a combination of all those thoughts that will come together to create maybe not a permanent solution, but a better solution than what we have today. Yeah. Well, they don't want to come together right now. Oh. That's the lack of leadership. Well, uh, they want to keep, keep us as divided as possible. So I spent six years going to DC lobbying for the financial advising firm um, industry, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, with a bunch of others. And I got to have these conversations with some of our, our key politicians that are still up there uh, and their staffers and whatnot. And uh, I had them lie right to my face. I saw them doing backroom deals. I saw them go on camera and like completely chastise. And then I'd see them at the cigar bar later chumming it up. Right. Right. So they are political actors, not leaders. Right. They're installed uh, in many cases, like AOC was installed. She was a bartender. Mm-hmm. She knows nothing. John she Fetterman. regurgitates the same. Yeah. Which may have a body double now because his health is so <laughs> poor. Uh, like, so we're, we're I saw that. Diff- different topic, different day. Right. But AOC is a great example. She was installed. Right. Right. She, she was installed to be a puppet for Soros and the Democrat Party. Whatever they say, she regurgitates and she does it passionately. Mm-hmm. Right. So she has no thought of her own. It is all puppeteering. It's all performance. And it's all performance. And she does a brilliant job of it. And she has these raving fans because they think exactly like they're just puppets. And so until we can actually get some people in there that aren't self-seeking, that aren't self-serving, that aren't trying to make themselves wealthy and powerful, then this country is going to go to shit. Right. We need to have people, and you you see it. We had this discussion on our our on my podcast, one of our leadership review in reviews. If you notice, the people that are actually trying to help are the ones that they land blast the most. That's right. So Marjorie Green Taylor, uh, Lauren Boebert, stuff like that. That like you'll see if the Republicans and the Democrats make fun of a certain individual, you know that that person is probably the individual trying to help. Right. That, if they, that make, if person, they try and make that person look stupid, if both parties are trying to make that person look stupid, they're the one actually trying to help. Right. I was talking to a couple of people yesterday about a similar, this similar conversation. And I asked them if they watched the documentary on HBO called the swamp. Now I'll preface it by saying it's an HBO documentary. So we all know that, you know, it's going to, every documentary is going to be biased or skewed in whichever way they're trying to present the information. But this documentary, The Swamp, follows three uh, representatives. They follow Matt Gates, Thomas Massey, and Ro Khanna out of California. And basically the, the whole purpose is to shed a light on exactly what you're talking about, how these congressmen, senators, whoever, can demonize each other in you know a CNN interview or a Fox News interview and, and talk bad about the other one. And then they're, they're chumming it up at dinner, having drinks and talking about how they're going to get their next bill passed or you know line their pockets with whatever sort of lobbying effort are coming in. Thomas Massey yeah. was the one guy that I came away from watching that documentary. He's a congressman out of Kentucky. I don't know what his district is, but a congressman out of Kentucky. He is the one guy that basically nobody likes because he doesn't fall into none of that. He doesn't, the, when they, when through that documentary and listen to him talk, and I've listened to a lot of his other interviews and speeches after that, he is the one guy that I look at and I'm like, that's a leader. Because he's yeah. not bought and paid for, but he's one out of 
467. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rand Paul as well. He's out of Kentucky and yep. he's on the Senate side now. But uh, uh, yeah, there's there's so few right. that are actually working in our best interest. And that's why McCarthy couldn't get passed for however many votes. Yeah. For well, how, how many votes. For the reason McCarthy... Exactly. McCarthy is bought and paid for. So the people that were fighting, they were voting against McCarthy. I think there was 15 to 20 of them. Those 15 to 20 are the ones, the only ones we should be supporting. Right. Totally agree. And, and I hope whatever deal they bargained for to actually end up voting for him 15 times later or whatever it was. God, I hope it's in the, like, it's something big in the best interest of us yep. because the rest of that swamp is so dirty. Well, what's funny to me is the Democrats were making fun of the Republicans for not, you know, giving him a, a, a rubber stamp to get passed and get that assignment as Speaker of the House. And yet they should have been happy because it only takes one. It takes one Republican congressman to call his leadership into question and get him removed out of that speaker seat. Yep. Tell me why the Democrats were not championing that. That should be the case with any speaker. I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat. If you don't follow what you said you were going to do, if you're not living up to the to the commitments that you made, we're going to remove you. And that's how it should be without all these protections and these backroom deals and, you know, these lobbying money. I've said for a long time, there's a couple things that could be implemented to fix our political system right now. One, First thing, term limits. Term limits, yep. I got an argument with somebody about term limits, and they say what? So you don't think the American people should have the right to be able to vote for who they want to vote for? Here's the thing. If you had term limits, you would get other people in that same party in the position, and it would no longer be I'm voting party line. It would be I'm voting for the for the person. The argument is, well, you know, they, they have primaries they go through. Yeah, but do they really? I mean, you get some – I mean – Mitch McConnell, for example, do you think he'll ever be primaried? No, no. because the money machine behind him is too big that anybody that tries to cha tries to challenge him won't stand a chance. That's not a fair primary. That's not a, a good way to run your government, but that's the government we have because these people, when they get into office, they might have good intentions going in. But I think after the first term, maybe even the second term, you know, congressmen are a little different because their term's only two years. You know, senators are six, but that first term, they get a taste of the money, they get a taste of the power, and they say, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to make this yep. my career now, which the founding fathers never intended that to be a career. They intended that yep. to be, you go to Washington, you vote, you do whatever you do, and then you go back to your farm, you go back to your business, your steel mill, whatever it is you have, you go back and you suffer under the weight of the decisions that you've made. AOC can go back to bartending. I mean, the, the biggest thing is uh, you're, you're so right on the term limits piece because uh, it was meant to be a volunteer. It wasn't meant to enrich. It was meant to actually be kind of a pain in the ass. It's like, hey, your country needs you. Yep. I know this, this job sucks. However, you're the best person for it. Please go do it for two years or six years. Like George Washington was begged to be president. He did not he want, want to be. He didn't. He didn't want the role right. like, and then he got out of it as soon as he could. Right. So that's, that's what we need to get back to. Not these people enriching themselves all the way through it. And then on their way out, enriching themselves even more, creating these golden handcuffs. McConnell spent tens of millions of dollars against a primary, against Eric Greitens in Missouri, mm -hmm. a Republican to not get him in because he knows Greitens would 
try to drain the swamp. He would be a problem. The Republicans did it to Kerry Lake in Arizona. That's right. Like, so when you have your, when they're eating their own, you know that something's up at the establishment and too many people don't pay attention enough to know that, Hey, the Republicans are, and Democrats are eating their own on certain sides based on which one's actually going to come in and cause a problem to their game, quote unquote, their game. Right. Yeah. That's the one thing I, w- I might say about AOC. Now, I am no fan of AOC. When you listen to her talk, she has zero life experience and has zero idea what she's even talking about in, in 99.9% of the case. The one thing I will say when she came in, and she's fallen in line since, but when she came in, she did try to challenge the authority of Nancy Pelosi, if you remember that, for a brief yeah, for a brief period. And then that just dissipated. It went away. It was, oh, uh, well. They got her to fall in line. Well, it, she, she made her, she got her, what, 15 seconds or 15 minutes of fame. She got her name known and then, okay, now I'm going to fall in line. I'm going to stay here in this role as long as I possibly can. And when I'm out the door, if and when I'm out the door, I'll just become a lobbyist or I'll just, you know, get on some consulting firm that gets funded by lobbyists or, or big corp or, or big industry of some level. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, on that same note, because we're recording this the week of the tragic shooting in Nashville, and that is just heart wrenching. You know, you, I, I, I do you have a Twitter account? Uh, I do. I don't ever really participate. You're better off Twitter. I feel like when I log onto Twitter, it's I'm walking into an insane asylum, to be honest with you. It is a mental, <laughs> it is Twitter literally is a mental health crisis documented. It is pathetic, but you get on Twitter and you see all the people from both sides trying to, to blame, Oh, the gun industry. And, you know, and then the other side, well, it's a mental health problem. It is a mental health problem unequivocally, you know, and I always sit there and say, okay, you're blaming the tool for, for what happened, right? A crazy person, a criminal or a crazy person picked up a tool and used the tool to harm people. Okay. There's already laws against murder. There's already laws against shooting people in public. What makes you think by removing the tool, you're going to eliminate the behavior. You're going to make the behavior maybe a little more difficult if they bought the, if they bought the tool legally, but ultimately if somebody wants to do criminal shit, they're going to figure out a way to do it. Yep. 100. And that's what I, I I don't understand when people go get on this on this high horse of the uh, gun industry. I look at it and say, okay, these same people on the high horse of the gun industry are willing to give the pharmaceutical industry a total fucking pass for the the toxic shit that they create. Yep, or the food industry as a whole. Oh like, yeah, we're, we're we're eating poison on a daily basis. That's right. Well, and, and our government allows it. So same, same thing is it's just whatever hot button they can press to get more control. And the fact that we own guns uh, means that they can't control us entirely. Yeah. I saw something just before we hopped on on this and I know we went sideways, but I love having these political conversations. It's been a minute since I've done it. I love doing it. There's some representative and I'd have to go back and look and I don't want to take time on here to do that, but there was some representative that put out a statement yesterday that said the United States needs to have the guts to do what Australia and New Zealand did and have a mandatory gun confiscation. And I'm looking at that person going, you are an enemy of the state, if that's what you think. Come and get it. You are an enemy of the state at that point. And I, I don't know any other way to say it. And, I, you know, these are the same people that want to spend billions of dollars arming the citizens of Ukraine. It's like, well, do you want to become a Ukraine? If you do that, that's what's going to happen. Yep. And then who's going to save us? 
nobody, because you know what it would be here? It would be a feeding frenzy from every other country going, we're going to take a piece of that. Yep. There'd be no one to come save us. Give me a break. China would, China would run over us at that point. Now, so it's. No, go go ahead. ahead. No, I'm sorry. No, I would just say that you know, China would run over us at that point, and that's what they don't understand, uh, those that are advocating for this, is the only thing keeping us as free citizens right now is our ability to bear arms. Yep, exactly. Otherwise, we would be, we would be uh, up shit river, however, whatever analogy you want to throw, uh, and not have the lives that we have today. That's right. Well, Matt, can we get you to have like a leadership retreat for some of these elected officials? to like impart some knowledge. Cause I think that would be, that would be absolutely necessary. <laughs> so, uh, I would love to, uh, influence people that are willing to learn. The problem is I think we have evil, evil people in Washington that are unwilling to learn. Uh, so I can't help someone that's a narcissist. I can't help someone that's a sociopath. Um, Neither can my business partner, who's a neuroscientist and understands the inner workings of the brain. Uh, Like if you're unwilling to learn and grow and actually be a good fucking human, (laughs) there's nothing we can do uh, to help. Now, if there's about 20 of those people in Washington that, uh, that are true, good human beings that are trying to do well. Yeah, man, let's get them out here and let's try and expand that impact. You know, I got to be honest with you. What you just said is the main reason, and I'm going to kind of make this full circle because we're coming up on an hour here. That's the main reason I, I named the pod, my podcast what I did is Defiant. And the reason for that is the best way to combat all the divisiveness, all the political rhetoric, all the bullshit, all the, 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 the system, if you will, is to simply be ungovernable, right? We, in our circle that we have within Arte and, and uh, the leaders there, it's about personal development, personal excellence, being ungovernable, right? Living your life the best you can. And as people see you living your life the best you can and, and striving every day to be better and better and better, that will also follow along in their lives. That's my hope, at least. And I think that's what I like about what you have going with your uh, leadership development firm is you are bringing people up to live that life of personal excellence to where who gives a fuck what they say? We're going to live our life and we're going to be as successful as possible and ultimately be ungovernable in that respect. Yeah. And, and uh, thank you for that. And I try and touch on all areas. So spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, uh, and then what's the legacy side of things? What, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Uh, so we're touching on all areas. So if anyone, so when people ask, Hey, um, would you be a good fit for me? And I just say, Hey, are you looking strictly for a performance coach or a, uh, just mindset coach, or do you want to be challenged on all areas of your life? Cause if you're looking for just a sniper, let's say that's, you know, performance mindset, whatever, just one area, uh, I'm not your guy, but if you want the whole package and become a better human being in all facets of your life, that's where I thrive. And so even out here, when we come out here, like we got alpacas, we got goats, we got, we're going to, we're adding, we got chickens, we're adding horses, donkeys, and uh, peacocks this year. 
or, or, or nice. uh, we're getting beehives to self-sustain honey. We already have an orchard. We have two different gardens, uh, the hay field to feed all the animals. So like we're creating a self-sustaining uh, ecosystem out here and getting people. And when people come out, whether they're from the city or otherwise, uh, they don't have this experience. Right. So they don't have a typical, if you come from New York city, you are not typically having a Midwest experience like that, where you're out here hanging out with some alpacas and goats and chickens and, you know, picking stuff off the uh, apple trees or whatever it may be. So I want to give people a different experience, different uh, detachment from reality, detachment from their business, detachment from their phones, cell services and great out here. I kept the room small on purpose so that you can experience the property and not be in your room getting too comfortable. Uh, so all of it's purposely designed to make sure that we're actually getting to the root, which is internal and making sure that you leave a better human being so that you can impart that on the world. Yeah, that, that is incredible. And what you just said is perfect. I mean, it's kind of like getting back to nature, right? Detoxing from the hustle and bustle of the cities, detoxing from the, the, mental strife that is social media. Honestly, I despise social media. It's a necessary evil, but I absolutely despise it. But I think what you're doing is great because it's getting back to, I don't want to say getting back to nature all hippy-dippy-ish, but it is getting back to nature in the respect of this is what we should be focusing on, not all this other bullshit. Well, you're right. And uh, not to say all hippy-dippy-ish, but the hippies had some stuff that was right as well. Like as much as you or I don't resemble a hippie, like there's some practical things that the hippies had that were that were right uh so you know whether it's nature whether it's uh self-sustaining whether it's love like anti-war you know i can get down with some of those some of those things you know isn't it amazing i was talking to my wife um a couple weeks ago about this very same thing i'm like you know if we were alive in the 60s we'd be the hippies <laughs> you know what i mean like we really would be. And it's crazy yeah. to me how the roles have flopped in the respect that now what used to be the hippies are the, the pro-vax, the uh, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come into my building. Or if you don't wear a mask, you can't come into my establishment. If you don't support sending billions of dollars of uh, military equipment to a far off country to fight a war, you're, you're evil. You're a, a fascist. It's amazing to me how those roles have changed. And now the people that are like, Hey, we should not get involved in that war. Hey, we should all, you know, have our own personal liberties. You know, you don't tell me how to live my life. I won't tell you how to live your life. Now we're the far right extremists and the, what the, the former hippies, a lot of old rock bands, classic rock bands to be exact, are now the authoritarians, which is amazing to me. Dude, the, the, what the Democrats did with virtue signaling preyed on the Democrats' bleeding heart. That's right. So it, is, it was a world-class mindfuck on their own people. And, and it's, it's actually being detached because I'm more libertarian than anything and seeing, seeing it happen real time has been fascinating <laughs> to see these people like, cause I live in Madison, which is very liberal with the, the university and the state capital here. Uh, we call it 80 square miles surrounded by reality. And it's fascinating to watch these people, like you said, that were anti-war, that were anti, you know, pro like pharma and uh, more natural cure and all that different stuff. And they flipped 
to uh, virtue signal to mm-hmm. because they're pre- preying on the bleeding heart. They're like, well, this is supposed to be what's right, supposedly. Right. Uh, instead of actually thinking for themselves, they've they've fallen into this machine, and now they're beating the war drum and beating uh, pro pharma pro pharma stuff, which has increased these the biggest companies in the world's profits by billions of dollars. Right. It's just, it's an incredible, it's a world-class mindfuck that they, that the, the establishment politicians pulled on the regular Democrat Joes that walk these streets with you and I. Uh, and, and one day I think that they will wake up and go, holy shit, but it's not today. It's not going to be today and it's not going to be fast enough for that wake up, unfortunately. Yeah. So, hey, Josh, we're right at about an hour. I don't want to keep you too long. I certainly appreciate you doing this. Where can people find you? Where can they uh, check in with you on socials and follow your podcast and all that sort of stuff? So I appreciate that. I am super easy. I am at Josh Kosnick, K-O-S-N-I-C-K on all social media. And then joshkosnick.com is the website. Uh, Spartan Leadership, as we talked about before, is the podcast. If you uh, want to check that out, whether it's the Leadership and Review or some of the other badasses that we're interviewing, awesome. Love to have you in the, in the Spartan Nation. But uh, other than that, just Josh Kosnick, search me, you'll find me. Fantastic. And on the podcast, are you on Spotify and Apple and all the major platforms? All of the things, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, all whatever your favorite platform is, we're on it. Gotcha. And for those listening here on audio, because my podcast is only audio, um, Josh is braver than I and has video. <laughs> so you can uh, <laughs> you can watch him on YouTube if you like. You get to see this, uh, this pretty face. I, I didn't tell you before my body's covered in hives from allergic reaction. The only thing spared is the, my face. So I was like, Hey, the moneymaker's still good. <laughs> we can, we can record. See, you have that luxury. I feel like I have a face for radio. So that's why I only do audio. Oh, it's all good, brother. It's, uh, it's, it's fun either way to connect with the audience. Um, audio, video. I've even had someone walk up to me at a bar that recognized my voice from listening to the podcast. So it's just interesting, you know, putting yourself out there and, and, and trying to have an impact on the world. Yep. It's, it's cool to see. I love what you're doing. Love the, love the message behind defiance. So uh, keep rocking it, brother. Thank you for that. And, uh, as, you know, I'm going to, uh, we're going to cut it out now. We're right at about an hour, but what I ask of every, all of our listeners on every episode, if you found any value and honestly, you should, you, you should have picked up at least one good nugget in this episode. I think probably more. I know I picked up more than just one, but if you picked up one good nugget, do us a favor, share the episode with a family member, share the episode with a friend, all your, all your socials, whatever the case may be. You can always connect with me as well. Uh, you can look me up on Facebook at Brett Popish, Instagram and Twitter at BPOP80. And then of course, please rate or review this podcast and whatever, uh, platform you're listening to it on whether that be spotify apple whatever the case may be and then with that everybody thanks for listening and be defiant see you